Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, you're back with the Roker Report Extra Podcast. It's me again. I think I was a little bit too positive going into that Birmingham game and definitely too positive going into the Sheffield United game. I said I hope we're going to come back and have like an extra win. I was being way too ambitious. We've got to wait at least another at least another 364 days for a home win, possibly. But yeah, we had one point over the last two games. We've got Forest on Saturday. And to commemorate our last game of 2017, I've got Rich from the Forest Ramble. How are you doing, mate? You all right? Hello there. Thanks for having me. Absolutely fine, mate. Not a problem at all. I promise not to depress you too much, but <laughs> we had a, a pretty bad time. But I'm sure we've got things to chat about. Um, I'm actually originally from Glasgow, so I've got a few questions. Uh, well, not originally from Glasgow. I live in Glasgow, sorry. But I have a few questions on uh, Mr. Warburton and a couple of lads that went down there. But mm-hmm. I was looking at the table. Now, I think at the time, I could be, could be wrong, but I'm pretty certain Google won't do me over here. But I'm sure you're 13th at the minute. And if you don't mind me saying... One thing I really picked up is you seem to have a bit of an all-or-nothing season. You've won 10, you've lost 13, but you've only drew one. Yeah. How things at Forest? Yeah, that, that's right. It's, it's been something remarkable in that we hadn't drawn a game for months and months and months and months until until um, the match just before Christmas against Preston. And uh, that was noticeable uh, because it was unusual for a Forest match in that they played well and didn't win. And usually they play well and win or they don't play well and they lose. And I think uh, 13th is probably a fair reflection of, of where Forrest are at um, so far this season, to be honest. Yeah, you mentioned about Warburton. Let's be honest, some of the natives are a bit restless because of his lack of plan B or perceived lack of plan B. I guess if you're going to have Warburton as your manager, you've got to be really quite patient. And I guess as as uh, Sunderland fans, that's something you'll, you'll appreciate isn't necessarily a, a virtue of football club owners. No, very much not so. And it, Warburton, obviously, I, I live in Glasgow. My family on my, the Scottish side are all Glasgow Rangers fans. And he started off really, really well. And it was a, a lot of possession-based football. But then, as you were saying yourself, there doesn't seem to be a plan B. Has he followed on with that possession-based football and passing out from the back that he was doing at Rangers? Yeah, he's very, very rigid. I mean, we've joked on the Forest Ramble podcast in the past about how he is basically a poor man's pep. and. 
we mean that in the sense that he's very, very tactically rigid rather than being someone who's going to uh, take on all comers. No matter what the formation, no matter what the personnel, he certainly wants the players to be playing out from the back, as you mentioned, possession-based, sometimes to the detriment of, of the style of play because sometimes you actually, as you know, in this division in particular, you benefit from getting the ball forward a bit more quickly. The other thing that we found is that the squad is really quite imbalanced in many ways so defense has been a big problem and we haven't got enough good defenders whereas we've got quite a lot of forwards um some of whom are struggling to get any game time as a result because he only plays with one out and out center forward so so yeah he's still pretty rigid i think it's fair to say the plan b hasn't been found yet you mentioned about a lot of different forwards. There was a, a, a guy I wrote about before we even officially got confirmed as relegated last year. And I wasn't so much a scout reporter in a kind of, I'd watched him a few times and thought he was a really good player. And I was really disappointed when he went to Forest, and that was Jason Cummins. But he hasn't really, from the outside perspective, looking in, apart from that Newcastle game, he hasn't really even got game time, has he? Not a huge amount. Um, uh, some people are kind of... Again, football fans being notoriously impatient, I think there's a lot of people who are sort of saying, well, Cummins hasn't played much, therefore he's been a bit of a dud signing. I disagree. I think what we need to remember is uh, the difference in pace and, let's be honest, class between what he was playing with for Hibernian compared to what you have to do at championship level is quite quite high. So he's had his matches in the Cup, and as you mentioned, that Newcastle game, and he is scorer but he's going to struggle for game time because the nature of the forest style of play and because of the way that we need to have a center forward who's going to hold to be able to bring others into play well it looks as though generally that's uh your mate daryl murphy who's who's the main man there and when he's not played it's usually been uh young player ben brereton who's got a lot of promise but in terms of his physical presence is probably more attuned to playing as a lone center forward rather than cummings yeah, Murphy's a, a weird one, you can ask. I mean, obviously he came back to haunt us, if we pretty much knew in September time, but thing with Daryl Murphy was he kind of played his part in our promotion season. But Murphy in general was like heart the size of a pea. I mean, if I'm honest with you, he would be up there and maybe not the worst players I've ever seen, but he'd certainly not be... He'd be below the average. He's not remembered that well. He was an all right left winger for us and he would score randomly important goals, but at premiership level he was crap. But then he went to, I think Celtic had a poor poor career there, and then he went to Ipswich. And he's really, between Ipswich, Forest, and Newcastle, dare I say it, he's actually turned into probably one of the better strikers in, in the championship. And I actually kind of heralded us signing him back before we got Graben and James Vaughan, who I'd still have him ahead of. But how has Murphy done at your place? I think he's one of the most important players in the squad. And, you know, you mentioned about, in terms of, actual ability and talent he's not going to be the best but what I would say is that I think the fact that he's had a bad time with injuries means that even though he's 34 now I think he's he's made up for lack of physical prowess you know it's the old Teddy Sheringham conundrum he hasn't got the pace um, and he can't put himself about in the same way but he has a lot of know-how so where he's very good is in terms of being able to hold the ball up bring others into play and as well as you know still having a goal scoring instinct um, although he's just been uh, taken over at the top of our goal scoring charts by young Kieran Dowell who's playing in the number 10 role behind him and that's the boy from Everton isn't it 
Certainly is. Yep. He looks like a very, very promising young player. I think, again, that's a source of some kind of consternation amongst fans. Is that should we be worried that the most promising of the young players coming through is one that's on loan and isn't going to be there? Well, what do you expect? He's had a Premier League upbringing. He's actually played in the Premier League, um, whereas Tyler Walker's had on loan in League One and had a handful of matches at championship level. So it's comparing apples with oranges. Yeah, it's funny you should mention about Everton loanees and young boys. We've got um, Galloway, who's... Uh, I don't want to write a boy off too much, but he's crap. I don't think he's going to do very well. And then we've had um, we've had Tyus Browning, who's kind of been... Like a typical youngster, he's been good in some games, really good in some games. And then like Saturday against Sheffield United, just woeful. But then other games, you can look like our person are off. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, what I would say is that um, I don't know what I don't know enough about the balance of your team, really, to to know in terms of the kind of level of balance between youngsters and experienced players. Yeah. Forrester got a lot of youngsters. And um, you notice that things can go wrong. So Boxing Day was a case in point. Sheffield Wednesday, all right, their team who've not had a great run and they've just got rid of their gaffer. But it wasn't just the new manager bouncer, did it? It's the fact that Forrest had a team of young players who who literally just couldn't cope wrong. And the, the turning point there was conceding the second goal from the penalty spot just on the stroke of half time, which meant that the second half, their heads were gone. And it was they might as well have literally not turned up for the second half. And that's the trouble with young players. So you mentioned about Browning. Well, we've got our own young lad, Joe Worrell, who is um, 18, 19 years old. He broke into the first team second half of last season. When he is good, he's really good. But he also makes mistakes. And if you're a defender and you make a mistake, then obviously it's going to it's more likely to cost you, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, our, our team, Honeyman and Gooch, especially Honeyman, has been in the first team a lot this season. Gooch is getting more game time. But since Coleman's came in, there's a lot more scene of like a Soro, Josh Madger. And I think, you know, sometimes they, they can have really good games. I've seen George Honeyman being one of our best players on the pitch. But the disappointing thing is, and I understand it because I don't think it's a lack of patience with some of fans. I think naturally we're just a bit sick of this crap we keep watching but the thing with Honeyman is sometimes he he just has a really bad game and the same with Gooch they're either all or nothing players and it's it's a lot of the time you want to see the young boys come through and you want to see the young boys kind of fly the flag for your team especially when you've been watching people like we've been watching like bloody Lamin Kone and people that generally obviously don't care but you do have to have that little bit of patience with them sometimes I think. Oh absolutely and that's one thing where you know you mentioned about Warburton not necessarily that popular around Glasgow even in the blue half and um but the good thing with Warburton being in charge and it's not just about Warburton it's about the entire structure of the club you know Forrest famously had a very bad owner who was doing a very bad job of running the club and the new owner I mean the Greek owner he's come in he's of someone who knows how to run a football club he's appointed a chairman who knows the football industry is very very uh, knowledgeable in terms of how to you know deal with the running of the club the administration side of it and so on a lot of kind of infrastructure has been put in place and that means that stability that we've got actually I think that there is a chance for the young players to come through and be held you know held in a positive regard be able to get some minutes under their belt. The average age of our team on more than one occasion has been about 23 this season. So 
there's um, there's there's lots of positives there in terms of getting rid of some of the overpaid mercenaries in terms of having the stability to trust that the youth policy is not going to be thrown out like it has been in the past with um, the manager from Glasgow who shall not be named, but whose name, whose initials are BD. Um, <laughs> you know, that we've, we've seen it all happen before. Um, you know, we've had the archetypal bad owners and I know that the trouble that you, in some ways we've had the similar kind of trouble that, that, that you've had with, uh, with Ellis Short in terms of those cycles of actually I'm the savior. No, I'm not interested. Oh, don't you realize how much effort I put in, you know, all of those kinds of things of throwing the toys out the pram and, and kind of putting your ego ahead of your responsibilities towards the football club. You mentioned that about Ella Short. That was it. You could have literally been describing Ella Short at that point. You mentioned Billy Davis there. I was speaking to Andy Reid before we appointed Coleman, actually just after we sat at Grayson. And I asked Andy Reid, who, because I, I, I interviewed him in the past uh, to put a bit of context to the story. And I said, you know, who, who do you think we should bring in? If you were the Sunderland chairman, who would you bring in? And I got the weirdest answer I got out of anyone that I asked. And he said, Billy Davies. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, really? And it's funny you mentioned that because it changed my opinion of what I thought Forest fans thought of Billy Davies. I thought, was he popular at Forest? But then you've just turned that back on his head. He wasn't popular then, no? Oh, well, I can't say that. I mean, there's a there's a small subset of Forest fans who will always maintain that he's he's the best manager we've had in the last 20 years or whatever. What I would say is when things went well under Billy Davis, it was unlike, I mean, it, it was just it was just brilliant. So in his first spell, there's a spell where we just nudged the top of the league in his second season. And I can genuinely say that I thought Forrest were playing the best football in the division, the best team in the division, scoring goals or keeping clean sheets. And those kinds of simple principles in terms of you build from the back, you create a team that's greater than the sum of its parts. And a lot of Billy Davis players have gone on to not very illustrious careers, but put together under his coaching, they were absolutely astonishing, really much better than they should have been. And yet... You also look at other t- times in his reign and you just think about all the backbiting against a chairman, um, the fact it's never his fault. And I know that's a fairly common trait amongst football managers. But then the second spell, I mean, it was it was just crazy. Um, all this talk about unfinished business, banning the press, claiming that there was conspiracies against him, which he's still doing. Um, if you Google his name and do a news search for him, you'll find uh, there was an article about him, an interview with him, which was not that long ago, saying, that there's big conspiracies and and he'll have his say in court and all of that so <laughs> yeah and, and and that's the thing is the the only conclusion i can come to is that he might actually be a little bit um mentally unwell because he has <laughs> yeah. a kind of psychopathic edge to him but i can totally understand why players would say he's the best manager that they've played for because he had that ability to make an average player get that extra 10 percent if all the players are doing the same, then all of a sudden you have players who are a- capable of just kind of doing something over and above what they thought they could. Now, I'm, I'm an advocate of Buckfast and I'm starting to see a, a bit of a, a theme here. And I think maybe it's the Buckfast that helped Billy Davies with. And maybe that's where his crazy thoughts come from, but also that's where he gets well, the extra 10% from. Funnily enough, he is apparently a teetotaler. What? No way. No one, is, no one from Glasgow is a teetotaler. <laughs> well, you heard it here first. Yeah, I believe it when I see it. <laughs> and then, sort of reverting back to uh, current periods, um, you've won one in six. Now it's weird. The last few podcasts I've done, Birmingham, 
Well, Birmingham hadn't won in forever. And then we had Sheffield United were on a bad run. And then I looked at your run and you, you've only won one in six. It seems like we're playing a lot of teams that are on poor runs. We can't seem to get past them. But sometimes when you look at things on paper, it looks like a bad run, but it's actually not been that bad. You've picked up a draw here and narrowly been beat there. How has the form been to watch as opposed to just read on a piece of paper like I've done effectively? Um. Is I mean, I say, it's, it's not great. When things aren't going well for Forrest, then they're a bit of a house of cards when things go badly. So defensively, they're not strong. The experienced man at the back is Michael Mancien, who is, you know, former Chelsea Academy player, played in the Premier League with Wolves, played in Germany for many years. He's a capable defender. Um, he obviously likes being at Forrest because he took a pay cut to stay at Forrest um, this yeah. summer. And he obviously believes in Warburton and Warburton's rewarded him with being the stand-in captain while Chris Cohen's still out injured. I'm not convinced that he is, you know, he's he's one of those players who blows hot and cold. He, um, even as far as a relatively experienced man goes, he is capable of making silly mistakes as well. And the, the trouble that we have at the back is that we have a lack of real kind of, you know, up and atom leaders. And the one that we've got is who's capable of maybe doing that a little bit is Jack Hobbs but Jack Hobbs is perennially injured. Um, he's probably the best out-and-out defender at the club. So when you've got a lad like Joe Worrell, he looks better when he's got an experienced, shouty defender next to him because it enables him to, again, get the extra sort of few percent to to make the right moves and so on. Eric Lehigh is as competent a right-back as you'd see in this division, I think. Um, he's not going to be outstanding, but you know what you get from him. Left-back's a bit of a problem for us at the moment because Benny Osborne, who's a midfielder by trade, he's standing in at left-back. And we don't know why, because Armand Traore is apparently fit, but he's out of favour. And then the big talking point for most of the season has been in goal. We've got this young lad called Jordan Smith, and he's 22 years old. Until January, he'd never played a first-team match. He's become the first-choice keeper, and he's a good shot-stopper. But in terms of that command of his box, and certainly in terms of his kicking and distribution, he's having to learn as he goes along, and that can that can create problems. There's nothing against him. He's a, I think he's going to be a fine goalkeeper, but... Um, he's just still learning. Yeah, I'm a fan of like random 90s footballers and Michael Mancian feels like, feels. I know he's not a 90s footballer, it certainly <laughs> feels like that because I kind of forgot that he existed. And then you mentioned him and I thought, oh yeah, because he was at Hamburg and Chelsea and he must be like late 20s, early 30s now. He's about 28, I think. It's a brilliant division because there's almost this kind of ignorance from my perspective. And I've said this in every podcast past few weeks of, of what actually is in this division and I can't really be arrogant or ignorant about it because you know we're near the bottom of it but there's been this kind of brilliant random name just populating out of nowhere and Michael Mancian's really took me back to like fucking hell Michael Mancian um has he still got got the cornrows um he's not no he hasn't he hasn't had since he's been with us no um he's he's got a far more sensible haircut these days um But um, it's strange, actually. I mean, that that thing you mentioned about um, dropping down a division and that kind of level of, I suppose, lack of know-how. It strikes me as though that is the big problem from the outside looking in. That's the big problem for Sunderland. And that is also when Forest struggle is not being streetwise enough. And it's a division. I, I... Having not been in the top flight for 20 years this season, I maintain that the thing that I actually think the championship's my favourite division um, in the in the English leagues because the Premier League 
is obviously where the big money's at and it's where everyone wants to be. And of course, I'd want to see Forrest get promoted, but not if it's going to be to have miserable time and, and, and come down getting beat every week. But in the championship, the thing that I like is that it is about know-how. It is about being streetwise. And yes, ability will get you far, but also it's about being kind of quite adept i suppose you know it's it's you need you need the brains as well as the brawn in a way that you don't in league one and league two that's where we struggle this season in my opinion gav our editor said something the other day about this division and it's it's not about the quality it's about wanting it we played sheffield united the other day and i mean the quality levels where we're not we haven't got that much quality i mean on paper you, you could look at mcgeady and grabbing and maybe Coney and stuff like that. You, you could look at that level of quality. But when I watched the game against Sheffield United, it was just literally, a, it was 11 men on Sheffield United's team that wanted that win more mm-hmm. and we just couldn't be asked. And it was it, it's fucking infuriating to watch it. But at the same time, it's like, I felt like all the way through this division, if the other team wants it more, they, they don't really care who's in our team. They don't care about John O'Shea or... Coney, or they're not bothered. Like I don't know any team that's came and looked overawed by us, and and so they shouldn't. So they shouldn't. We're not brilliant, mm. but like you you get that in the Premiership. You get teams that respect other teams. Like we wouldn't go to Chelsea and nine times out of ten attack them in the Premiership years. I mean once or twice we did, fair enough. But generally we'd put ten men behind the ball and try and get a draw. And, and a lot of teams do that if you're lower end Premiership. I feel like in the Championship. Everyone just has a go at anyone. Like, we, we lost 5-2 against Ipswich this season. But if we'd beaten Ipswich 5-2, it wouldn't have been that weird either. Anyone can hammer anyone. Yeah, and, and certainly you look at this season, the nearest there is to a runaway team is Wolves. And, you you know, I don't think there's any anything to be gained in going to Wolves and putting 10 men behind the ball because they'll just they'll either overrun you and even if they don't, then you're not going to create anything and they've got enough ta- attacking prowess that they'll get past you anyway. So I say, I, I agree with you to a certain extent in terms of a lot of it's about desire. A lot of it is about balancing out the right way to play and being streetwise and knowing the tricks of the trade. And that's where Forrester struggled. That's where actually, you know, a player like George Honeyman who's got a lot of promise, he'll either he'll either um, prosper or completely fail on the basis of that. But certainly, I would imagine that if and when he ends up back in the Premier League, whether it be with you or with someone else, that he will have benefited massively from having spent some time in the Championship where you learn a lot about how to best use your attributes in a way that you might not need to in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, it, the division's kind of... Well, when we went down, you mentioned before about um, you want to be in the Premiership but not to get beat every week. And we almost had that continuously. You had that beautiful uplift where we just beat everyone from March and stay up. And that was absolutely nuts. That was completely mental. But at the same time, it kind of it, it did great on you a little bit. And, you know, I, I want to be in the Premiership, of course. And, and like you said, everyone does. But in a sense, I think, you know, coming down, the one thing I, I thought was, well, at least when I'm travelling from Glasgow, I can see a few more wins. And it, it's weird because I haven't. I actually haven't seen yeah. us win in 2017. I, last time I seen Sunderland win was Watford, December 16. I didn't end up going to the Fulham game, which we broke the hoodoo. So I haven't seen Sunderland actually win in the flesh for well over a year um, yeah. going on. And it's it's funny because I think, again, people go, oh, you think you'd win more games? And, you, you know, this and the other like people from the outside perspective. But it's not that. It, it's very much about the fact that I, I don't think our players have respect for the division almost. Like people like Coney, I think some of our players think they're above it. Um, the likes of Catamol and stuff like that. And and that creates this 
attitude of almost disrespecting the opponent and the other opponent doesn't respect any of our players and the desire levels is totally miscued from both teams and that's why we're only three wins and it's nice to see Coleman try to instill that again and if you'd asked me before the Sheffield United game I think things were turning but for me Sheffield United was probably the worst performance of the season and that's a little bit worrying. I think that Again, sort of from my experience, I mean, when Forrest got relegated from the Premier League, they appointed David Platt as their manager, and that was an absolute blooming disaster. Um, and that's because I think he thought he was above the division, and he signed players who thought they were above the division. Um, and the the players who he signed who kind of, you know, he got rid of um, a few of the old guard, and then the only player who he signed that ended up being reasonably successful, probably Ricardo Schimaka, who was uh, helped for us get in the playoffs. There were one or two others as well, um, but you can't take it for granted. And then when Forrest went down to League One as well, I mean, that's that was the absolute low point in terms of probably recent Forest history, certainly for the current generation of Forest supporters. And there was basically, I mean, it's, it's commonly accepted that, that there was a mutiny amongst the players against Gary Megson and players who thought they were better than you know, Sergeant Major Megson and his kind of well-drilled way of playing. Now, I didn't like his way of playing, but the way the players let him down was absolutely disgraceful. And, you know, I think there's there's a real danger when you get players who throw their toys out the pram in that way. And and like you say, you sort of a lot of players are on big money who have kind of big egos. I mean, the, again, outside looking in, it, it strikes me as though, as much as I kind of like Lee Catamol as a player, He's the problem, not the solution, because he yeah. seems to be wanting to rule the club. Yeah, I, I literally couldn't agree with you more. I, I mean, the Catamore, maybe in August time, I'd be more of a fan of, because he's definitely the kind of player that Sunderland fans react to. But this season, he's just, he just looks either, it's one of two things. Injuries are caught up with him, and he's not very good anymore, or he can't be asked. And he shows it. And I mean, he's injured at the moment. Luckily, he's injured. But we've certainly looked better with him. Like, People might disagree with me on this, but I think Darren Gibson's a better player. He's a better talent. And I certainly think he's more likely to bring something more to the team than, than Catamull is at the moment. But I think realistically, I don't buy into... There's a there's a myth at Sunderland. I think it's a myth that there's a rotten core that includes John O'Shea and Lee Catamull in terms of, I think, personality almost. But I think that it's not so much a rotten core in terms of a personality and stuff like that. I just literally think... And I've said this a few times, we've got a bunch of players in there that are just losers, like Catamore or Shea. They've consistently lost. They're just a bunch of losers and it just continues on. And, you know, you want to see not necessarily all young boys, fresh boys, but fresh faces like Coleman speaks like a winner. And that gives us confidence straight away. When you see Catamore and O'Shea and those players that have been at the club for a while and just not really done anything, you just... You associate with with losing, and the one thing that took us out of this crappy cycle last time was having Roy Keenan as manager. And thankfully, we had money at that point, and he brought in like they were coming out like pops. I think now Quinn said we're signing six players on the mm. de- uh, deadline day in August, but they were all like people that Roy Keane wanted. And he talked him and Niall Quinn talked a lot about getting the right personalities and changing that mentality of the club. And I feel like Coleman really has a job on his hands because I feel like Coleman speaks like a winner. And he's very, very much impressed me in a lot of the fan base. But when you look at Catmull and O'Shea, I don't know if it's a personality thing, but they definitely are Lee Catmull's associated with Sunderland. And for me, Lee Catmull's associated with negativity, losing, relegation, and being average. 
And it's unfortunate that we've always stood up for him and said, you know, he's better than you give him credit for. But truth be told, this season he's been worse than we ever thought. And I think John O'Shea is beginning to show his age. Anyone with pace up against him. There's definitely a mentality in that club at the minute that is almost like in a depression. And the worry that we all have, I think, is that we don't have enough money because Ella Short won't put his hand in his pocket at all for his mistakes that he's trying to call back to change that. And I don't think it'll take too much. I think he's got the right man in charge. But I think, and I was speaking to a a Sheffield United fan last week, and he was talking to me about when Sheffield United went down and like basically purged their team of the big earners and the bad personalities. And he was like, if you watch Sheffield United now, they all play for each other. The fans are buying into it. And I definitely saw that on Saturday. As bad as we were, you could see that from Sheffield United 100%. Yeah, Um, and there's there's a lot to be said for that. And I think Sheffield United under Chris Wilder display all of those traits of playing for each other and so on um, in a way that, Forest did under Billy Davis first time round, Wolves under um, Nuno. They're a real sort of odd bunch of these big money signings, but also a local lad who came through the academy and everything. So I don't think it's about spending money in this division. I think it's about being astute. And I think it's about, again, being streetwise. Now, what I do also think is that having the right players is also important. And I think the ray of hope for you is that Chris Coleman, with his recent experience as being an international manager, He's got really, really good contacts across the divisions now, getting players from the Premier League, from the Championship, from League One, from you know, from the different divisions all over the place, and therefore will have had good with agents, with players themselves. So in terms of the signings that he could be making, he'll know who the right people are to sign. The thing that I think a lot of Forest fans are getting impatient about is big people like me are saying, well, be patient because Mark Warburton has only had one transfer window. And this transfer window, I think, will be what he ends up hanging his hat on to get us through to the summer. And then next season will be where he'll earn his money in terms of as a, as a coach or as a manager. For Sunderland, what I would say is that not going down is actually going to be a pretty decent result. And, uh, um, and there's a lot to be said for mid-table security when you've had such a period of difficulty, shall we say. <laughs> Let's be yeah. diplomatic and call it difficulty. <laughs> yeah. Um, where you, you have been struggling, struggling, struggling for years and years and years on end. Um, so getting some stability can be really, really important. And Forrest haven't had that. Sunderland haven't had that. I think as to go back where we started, 13th is probably about right for Forrest at the moment in terms of the table not lying. And actually, if you consider that Forrest only escaped relegation last season on goal difference, that's not actually that bad a place to be and anyone who's thinking that we'd just be able to walk into the playoffs or into the top two this season after one transfer window and Warburton being in post for only a few months I think we're possibly uh, setting their sights a bit a bit too high yeah I, yeah, I'd, I'd agree I think Forrest are a big club so I understand that I understand the expectation but at the same time no I think we we've certainly had our expectations brought to a grinding halt and I think we would love to be in that position at the moment and it's funny I actually was quite curious um, because I feel a lot more positive with Coleman a hell of a lot more positive with Coleman but from the outside looking in what's your views on the appointment of Coleman and do you think that we can escape the second relegation in a row do you think we'll actually escape that trap though? I think the thing that he's got which could stand you in good stead is positivity and that ability to get the team playing well together if he can now some personnel and some personalities might need to change for that to happen. But again, you look at the way Wales played under him and that was all about togetherness, wasn't it? It was all about having players who 
knew their jobs in the team, knew that they could rely upon the bloke next to them to do a certain thing. Um, And to a certain extent, the tactics and the formation and all that kind of thing won't be the most important thing for you this season. It'll be that positive outlook that he can bring. So in that sense, I think he's possibly a good appointment. In another sense, what I will say is that I don't think I'm the only championship football fan who would have said, why has he gone there? Yeah. It seems like an odd move for him personally, but maybe it's just that he, after being an international manager, he really wants to get his hands dirty, which he's, by the look of things, he's going to have to do. I think, yeah, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest. I was, I was surprised that he did come, and I am, I'm very much, I'm not an arrogant Southern fan, far from it, but I'm aware of our potential. But I think even I was a little bit like, like, because when we were talking about bringing people in and who we would appoint and who we could realistically attract. Coleman wouldn't have even been on the agenda. I think Michael O'Neill wasn't. Mm. He was he was rumoured, and then even people were like, "Oh, but why would he come here?" And I think if you think of reputations, if you think of the reputation that he's got compared to what the reputation Coleman had, there was. I'm very surprised that he took the job, but you know, respect to him, massive respect because. As I say, I th- I, I wonder if it's to do with that contacts book. The, you know, the players that he might be able to bring in in the January window and next summer from his period of dealing with players across the divisions, which Michael O'Neill would have to a certain degree, but maybe not quite as widely in England as Coleman would. I mean, I'm pretty much, I'm hopeful that he can, you know, maybe bring in Gareth Bale. Um, there is that hope. <laughs> um, well, you got the parachute payment still, so we do, we do. You know, there's money there somewhere. I'm sure he'd want to join. You know, I mean, Real Madrid's not that good. Um, they don't have a Jackie White's market. That's you know that 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 will mean nothing to you. Maybe it might mean something, but I have no it's idea. It's it's a very good market. Trust me, it's um it's the pinnacle. I'm very 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 bitter about the fact we still didn't win uh, the the city of culture. I feel like Jackie White's market is the pinnacle of the city. Anyway, um, when it comes to people we could bring in, maybe I, I think almost in a sense with Coleman, it's like it's kind of humbling that he's seen Sunderland for what we see Sunderland as, and he thought, "All right, then, like let's go for it." And I think he said something; it sounded really cool. Actually, I'm not someone for like caring if something sounds cool, but he talked about getting the club rocking and rolling, and mm. it was just like you just instantly knew the guy kind of got it. But the big worry with Coleman is. Well, not with Coleman, with the club, is the people that are above him. Um, he's talked about coming into the job with his eyes wide open, but that doesn't necessarily mean you'll have much of a transfer kitty. I think what a lot of us are hoping is that he can get rid of some of the big earners like Kone, Catamol, to mention a few, maybe even McGeady. I'm very unfair on McGeady. He was all right when Grayson was there and probably our only player, but he's been poor for a while and I imagine he's not on a low wage, but I think he's going to have to sell before he can buy. And I think even if he can buy, I think he's going to be probably shopping in Jackie White's market, actually, compared to what he would probably hope to have. But again, like you say, if you have contacts, that's a good point. He'll know which players want to be with him. Yeah, and what I would say is that doesn't have to be about big money. Two of the players that Forrester brought in, you mentioned Cummings earlier. By championship standards, I suppose, spending a million pound on an unproven young player is a lot of money. But wages-wise, in terms of this terms of his contract, it's not going to be massively expensive in that sense. And then the, the the really kind of impressive signing is Barry Mackay for half a million pound from Rangers, because obviously Warburton was his gaffer there. And Mackay is a player who, as you'd expect, as 
most wingers do. He blows hot and cold. But when he is on song, he is almost unplayable at this level because you can't get the ball off him. He's got a real attacking instinct and he's got an eye for threading through a pass that no one else can see. And I first moved to Glasgow about six years ago. So it was when Rangers went down to the third division. Um mm. Or, or their Rangers, uh, forgive me, any Rangers mm-hmm. have to find that offensive. But he got in the first team in and out when he was like 16. And you can definitely see he's got something in him. I was very surprised that Barry Mackay was allowed to go by Rangers. There's a lot of Rangers fans I know who would get very frustrated by him. But if I, I, th- I don't think I need to tell you how expectant Glasgow Rangers and Celtic are as supporters. So mm-hmm. young boys the age of 20, 21 certainly don't get anywhere near the patience, maybe even Nottingham Forest or Sunderland fans would give him. So I'm kind of pleased to see, uh, quite pleased to see Wee Barry doing quite well because he he was a definite talent. I think the big worry for, for Barry was he was quite small, but he set the goal up for Daryl Murphy at the Stadium of Light, I think, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, until a few weeks ago, I think he was leading the... Um leading the assists chart in the division. Um, and I say, some of that's wing play, some of that is cutting inside. He's certainly a very clever player. And at the moment, I think as we're getting through to the, the winter months and the games are starting to take their toll, I think it starts to take its toll on him. But on the other hand, we have another mercurial winger who can step into his place in uh, Mustafa Carriol. On the other side of the pitch, we've got Tyler Walker, who seems to be playing on the right wing most of the time and um, who to everyone else in the country will be best known as son of Des. And Tyler, um, when he first broke through in the Forest team about three years ago at the age of 17, had some talent, but he had no physical presence whatsoever. Yeah. And in a way, actually having a, being out injured for the best part of a year did him a massive favour because I think he just basically got himself down the gym and he's bulked up and he, he's come back a man. And that, again, is something that's really made the difference in terms of he can now stand up to those defenders. And and as you said about Wee Barry, sometimes he can get out-muscled, whereas Tyler on the other side is getting a run in the team and he's not getting out-muscled in the way that he used to. So that's a, that's the kind of balancing act when you bring in these kind of young, tricky players is that you've got to kind of protect them at the right time as well in terms of making sure that the physical side of the game doesn't get too much for them. Barry Mackay is the one that worries me going into the match on Saturday because he's somebody that I've watched and I know what he has. I've seen him I've seen him rip the arse out at Celtic a few seasons ago in the, the semi-final of the Cup. I mean, it was very much a one-off, but wingers, like you say, I like that, which kind of brings me on to probably just what I want to sort of finish on, essentially. Lewis Graben's injured, so Lewis Graben's out of the game on Saturday, and most people mentioned Graben when I asked this question, but first and foremost, which player do you worry about from our team, if any, and what do you feel will the score will be? What, what are your hopes and what are your actual thoughts? Well, from my point of view, obviously I'm looking for a Forest win, partly because we haven't won for a while, as you helpfully pointed out, partly because you've got to try and... Take advantage when a team's on the ropes. Now, you mentioned about Birmingham, and we let Birmingham beat us. And that was a, a classic case of, of being beaten by a team who we shouldn't have been beaten by. But um, So being at home, being against a team who are struggling, I would say that's something whereby Forrest have got to be looking to get a win. And I say, 
we might as well win one nil as three nil. If you saw what I mean, like it, yeah. if we if we win one nil, then we're just as likely to to get a couple more. If we don't, then you could easily go away three nil winners. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> that's how finely balanced it can be uh, for Forest. Yeah. Um, in terms of players of yours that I'm worried about, I th- you mentioned them as as young players, um, Gooch and Honeyman. I think they're the ones who've kind of caught the eye, but. The thing with Graben and what I was impressed about with, with getting hold of him for the season is that that thing about championship know-how, a player who's played in this division, who kind of has the physical attributes and, and the, sort of this, the ability to kind of read read what's going on. So if Graben's not playing up front, then that's what you're going to be missing as much as his actual ability yeah. to score goals. Um, so um, I'm hoping that means that our fledgling defenders will have a slightly easier day. Well, James Ward not pulling up any trees and, and hasn't done all season. It's funny with Graben, I agree with what you said on Graben, because Graben is hit or miss with Sunderland fans. People either find him very good and they point towards his goals or they find him lazy and they find that he doesn't bring enough to the team. But for me, I'm very much in the former camp. I think the guy scores so many goals for us because he just understands the division. He just he runs mm-hmm. the channels well. He understands the physical attributes to it. He's, he's, he doesn't run around like a headless chicken like James Vaughan does. And some people want that. And I don't understand why. He doesn't need to. He understands when to run, how to run, and when to shoot. And when, and, mm-hmm. and he generally, he's got 12 goals this season, which is basically as many goals as Birmingham have. So I'm yeah, disappointed he's, he's, he's out. And I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, is he a player that I would fancy seeing play for Forrest? No, not really. But I can completely see why he could be and has proven to be an important signing for Sunderland this year. Yeah, um, I think if we lose him, I think people will realise how much he brings to the team. And I think you've only got to look at the games that he hasn't played. And someone pointed out the other day that, you know, the games he didn't play, we scored in every one of them apart from one or something like that. But I think for me, when Graben plays, we infinitely look better going forward. And I think Saturday against Sheffield United proved that an awful lot. I think we had one shot and I think we hit the... I think we hit the corner flag or it went out of play. <laughs> um, it was that bad. And I think when Graben plays, there's always a chance. There's always a chance you can score. So I think we're more likely. I will I will hope that he'll play Josh Madger up front, who definitely has something. But I have a feeling he'll go with James Vaughan, unfortunately. And Vaughan but is... But that, that could be keeping the pressure off the young players to come on off the... Yeah. Off the bench, you know, in a couple of matches so far. Um, you know, maybe that's the way that the manager wants to play it. The good thing is I trust Coleman. Mm. Like I, 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 I would have probably questioned Grayson. I would have definitely questioned Moyes. I would quite happily strangle Moyes, truth be told. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to Coleman, I, I trust him. Like If he goes with Vaughan, I, I understand he has a reason behind that. He's not mm. just putting him there for the sake of it. And I think very much he seems to be almost protecting Asoro and, and Madger, who's done well when they've came on um, in most games and Madger scoring the winner in the Fulham game. But I think you're right. I think he is protecting them. So I think you'll probably go with Vaughan. But I do hope he goes with Madger, I'll be honest, because I, I really think we should stop. As a fan base, we're starting to fear every game. And like with all respect due, we should not be fearing going to Sheffield United and Nottingham Forest and getting hammered. We should be going there a little bit more hopeful. Maybe that's what your new manager will do for you. Um, what I would say is, um, if Murph plays, I'm fairly confident he'll uh, he'll cause you trouble. And if he doesn't, then um, if Ben Brereton plays, he's he's a real potential star of the future. He's he's basically like a poor man's um, Harry Kane about three years ago. Um, <laughs> 
in in that he's got that you can see he's got that potential he's got that ability to finish um certainly even if he if he plays and he doesn't score he'll certainly give you defenders some grief um he's a he's a very powerful young man and and, and real star for the future I hope I hope Murphy doesn't play because the story's written pretty much if he does but um well you never know it could be David Vaughan scoring a rocket from 30 yards Oh, David Vaughan. I forgot about David Vaughan. I love David Vaughan. I love David Vaughan. Does he get in the team? Um, he's had real fitness problems this season. I think his age is starting to catch up. Surprise me. And Forrest look a different team when he's there. All of a sudden, there's so much more calm in possession when Vaughan's in the team. Yeah, I can imagine him being a really good player at this level. He was very hit or miss in the Premiership. He was one good game in five, but that one game he was great. But I love him because... I don't know whether you've seen it, but he got the third goal against Newcastle and it was the greatest goal I've ever seen in the flesh. And it gave me the most amount of joy I've ever had in my life. I'm just reminiscing about it now, just Paolo <laughs> celebrating on the touchline, his ugly little face, just <laughs> celebrating it. Um, yeah, I have a lot of time for David Vaughan. I can imagine he's really good. I'm good. I forgot about David Vaughan, but um, it's like, you know, we talked about Michael Mancia and it's like 90s footballers, early 2000 footballers. Mm-hmm. And Vaughan, Vaughan's almost in there with them as well, but... Um, I hope he doesn't play. I imagine, yeah, I remember David Vaughan as being how you described him. Oh, the bad news for you is that our, our two ageing ex-Sunderland veterans are apparently both fit to play. So so they, if they do, they're the, they're the players who bring that little bit of know-how and calmness to our team. So so if I hope they do play, and I hope for you that um, if they do play, they don't score. But for us, I hope that they play and absolutely steamroll you. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna imagine the way our season has gone. It's probably gonna be the latter. <laughs> we'll probably get done two three nil, and David Vaughan will probably get one of them. And Daryl Murphy is absolutely nailed on to get the other one. But thanks for coming on, Rich. I hope um, I hope you have a horrible horrible Saturday. I hope it's terrible. Well, um, be but... neutral. <laughs> yeah, that's how it should be. That's how it should be. Not none of this niceness anymore. But um, I do wish you luck for the season. Again, I, I spoke to. A lot of teams over the past few weeks, and I've said that to everyone, but there's almost like a level of, I don't want to say niceness, but mutual respect in the championship. I think a lot of teams are down there, have really big, loyal fan bases. We can understand each other. Birmingham, Forest, um, are teams that you know you don't talk about lightly. They might be in the championship, but they're still huge football clubs and huge fan bases. And I really hope that you do do well, as long as it's not at our expense. Likewise, likewise. Thanks for having me again. Anytime, Rich. All right, have a good night. And have a good new year as well. Cheers, you too. Thanks, my man. Yeah, interesting chat. Forest, obviously a huge club and a game that might not have worried me the other week because I was on this really weird crest of a wave with the Fulham game. And and now listening back, I realise how stupidly confident I was when I shouldn't have been. But I'm hoping we can put in an improved performance. I mean, it doesn't take much to improve on that. I don't know what that performance was against Sheffield United. I can't think of the word for it. It was so bad. I don't think we've had a performance as bad this season. And I include the the 5-2 against Ipswich in that. And the Barnsley games were just nothing in there. And that does worry me a little bit based on how much faith I have put in Coleman and how positively he's spoken. But we will be back potentially after the Barnsley game because the games in this league, especially at Christmas time, like any league in England, but especially this league, are coming thick and fast like nothing I've ever known about. I haven't got enough time to actually fit in conversations and I might do one for Barnsley, I don't know. You'll soon find out by the time you're listening to this because I think we play them about 48 hours later, but hopefully next time we chat and I've said this last time, so I hope I'm not jinxing it again, but hopefully we're chatting about at least one win next time we speak. But have a good new year. 
It's got to be better than 2017, which is an absolute shitstorm as a Sunderland fan. Don't get too drunk and make sure you're at the stadium right on the 1st of January and roll the lads on to hopefully a second win in three games. You never know. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.